Thank you for listening to this week's message from New Day Community Church in Vandalia. We hope this message encourages and blesses you. Look us up and contact us at newdaycommunity.org. Sexuality uh, this month, and you know the world is not silent on the topic of sexuality, and so the church shouldn't be. In fact, I think a big problem that we've had over the years is that the church has been too quiet, or if they've said anything, they've only said uh, things that were demeaning, uh, that that created shame and humility, uh, or not humility, but shame and, and embarrassment. <clears throat> And so the purpose of this uh, series is really to uh, bring a biblical, but also a very personal, relevant, uh, practical approach to dealing with sexuality in our lives. And um, today, to just push the envelope when it comes to uh, vulnerability and being real, uh, we're going to, just as two couples, uh, you can sit here again, Um, we're going to discuss... Um, sex, but first we have a video depicting all of... No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that split second, I was like, oh, boy. <laughs> <laughs> I had to throw that in. Uh, yeah, so bear with us. Um, uh, this is going to be kind of like a conversation between us four, and we are using questions that have been submitted uh, over the last few weeks. And uh, some really good questions that uh, were submitted, and we're going to use the questions as kind of a starting off point to uh, to enter into the discussion. Um, <clears throat> I suppose if you have a question while we're talking that is pertinent to what we're talking about at that time, uh, I'm open for questions. Uh, but let's, I don't know, I would, there's no way we can get through all these questions, so if it's question way in a different direction, just see one of us afterwards. Okay, does that sound good? You all ready? You're ready. All right, first question we're going to talk about is someone submitted this, said, God brought me out of a very promiscuous lifestyle. I struggle to find the balance between a wholehearted repentance, which means rejecting the lifestyle and everything it came with, Uh, and loving the people I interacted with, and representing Christ well without being tempted back. What's the best way now to engage with people I've slept with in the past? Do I avoid them, since they represent unhealthy, sinful dynamics? Do I seek them out and awkwardly try to convert them into Christianity? Do I smile and wave and pretend nothing ever happened? Uh, you know, <clears throat> so this is a really good question because, uh, especially in our day, um, you know, most people coming into Christianity that didn't grow up in a, uh, even if they did grow up in a Christian church or in a in a uh, family that was Christian, um, it's just, I mean, uh, studies show that uh, kids in school today have their first sexual encounter by seventh grade. Okay, uh, that's the norm. In, in our right here, okay, by seventh grade, uh, sixth or seventh grade, but by seventh grade, it's done, okay? So m- most kids have either had uh, some form of actual, they've, they've uh, snuck in a closet at school, oral sex is extremely common in elementary school, uh, happens all the time. In fact, kids in elementary school don't even think it's wrong. Because uh, you don't, there's no, they know they're not going to get pregnant. Right? Yeah. They see it all the time on their devices. Um, so um, that's what we're dealing with, you know. So by the time they get to high school, they've been, you know, they don't even know how many partners they've had. It's norm. Um, so how do you deal with that, Bill, Marilyn? I forget who was going to. I'll jump in on that one. Um, So the first thing I would say is that you want to break all ungodly soul ties with anyone you've had any sexual relationship with uh, prior to, you know, wanting to to just live for God and and do it his way. And so, um, and when you, when you do that, you, you just repent, you confess that you have an ungodly relationship. linking and joining with someone and and those are formed through physical intimacy in other ways too but um, you just confess that you have that you repent for your part in it 
you forgive them for their part in it, and um, you you just invite Jesus to cleanse and, and restore to wholeness. It's a great prayer, but at the end of it, um, you get truth from God, and you ask God, what is your perspective? What is the truth about me, about them, about our relationship? And so you can get filled up with a godly um, mindset when you have to interact with them, if you have to interact with them, if you have to see them. You want to be filled up with the way God views them and views you, and so it can be healthy. Um, The question asked, you know, do I need to go out of my way? I would say, no, you don't need to go out of your way to be around them. Um, But if your life requires you to see them, you definitely just want to live the new you, be, you know, obviously Christian, and they'll notice that something's different, and um, and you can, you know, have a, hopefully just a natural conversation. They can find out why you're different now. So. I think that the idea of being the new you is really, really important, and this is true whether or not It's dealing with someone that you had sexual relationships previously uh, in in any capacity. Or, you know, let's take this and put this in a little different context. Uh, How about your group of buddies in high school, you know, the common theme of of joking around was sexuality. Uh, Either talking about the other girls or flirting or, or, or... you know how guys are, uh, you know, uh, comparing uh, girls or uh, boasting about their sexual prowess. Most of it was all lies. <laughs> you know, and so if you're, how do you be the new you? Well, you talk about different things. So when I was an early Christian, uh, you know, coming out of a, I was a stoner. You know, when I came back to college, I just carried a Bible everywhere. And you know what? No one invited me to get high. Because I had a Bible. Right? Yeah. And they started talking to me. I'll start talking about Jesus. Like, I didn't even have to tell my stoner friends that I didn't smoke anymore. Because they figured it out real quick. (laughs) Um, Yeah, yeah, I I think uh, if... I feel like there's a flow of influence in any friendship or relationship, right? And if you have come out of anything, whether it's uh, promiscuousness like the question said or alcohol or whatever else, if you're hanging around those people and the flow of influence is from them onto you and you find yourself acting a little more like them when you're around them, then there's a problem. If the flow of influence is the other way, that you're so confident in your new creation and who you are, that you've, you are able to influence the situation and the flow is outward from you, then you're in a really good place. And you can still be around those people, but to protect your own heart and to not fall back into temptation, you just kind of monitor that. Like, who's starting to act like who here? Yeah, you know? that's good. And if I'm starting to act a little more like them, then I either need to get more confident about being a new creation and who I am and that what I am doing now is better than what I was doing before, or maybe I need to limit the type of situation or the amount of time that I'm around those people, you know. So shop talk at work, you know, for example, you may just excuse yourself if you can't be there and have the flow of influence in the right direction. And that doesn't mean you have to confront them and say, you guys are sinning by talking about that. You just walk away, you know. You just don't enter into those conversations. (laughs) You smile and walk out. Yeah, absolutely. If but that is a that is a uh, um, you have to figure that out in a case by case scenario, okay. And so if and it also has to be something that you're convinced that for their sake or for my sake, I need to communicate repentance and for, ask their forgiveness. Now sometimes the relationship is a little too dicey or emotionally charged, especially it tends to be more uh, with women, because uh, if they talk to the guy, it's just going to turn out bad. You know? But it can be the other way as well. A guy may 
you know, not know how to handle it. One of the things I've done in the past is counseled people to write out a letter in which you say that, and you're asking their forgiveness. Of course, you also need to work through forgiveness, which is part of the breaking the soul ties, in which you forgive them, you know, in your heart, out loud, before God, you forgive so-and-so. And I don't care how long the list is, write a list. If you don't remember their name, right, the person that I slept with back in 10th grade, you know, whatever. Um, or made out with. Now, understand it doesn't. It isn't just full-on intercourse. It's having. It's going to the place that's reserved for marriage. So the level of intimacy that crosses that line. It, it kind of, kind of, a, it's a moving scale. But yes, yeah, certainly, if if it's appropriate and you can discuss that situation, again, don't don't do it to try to convert them because that's not there. You're going to say, listen, I'm. I, I've realized that what we did was unhealthy, and I just want to ask your forgiveness for my part in that. And who knows? Maybe God's been dealing with them, and they're like, actually, I've realized that too. I'm trying to get myself back together uh, and get my life on track. So yeah, there's definitely a place. There's always the need for the forgiveness. Whether or not you ask them in person is what needs to be decided, or write the letter and then, and if you can't figure that out, then talk to someone that's older in the Lord, someone that can give you godly counsel. Did you have anything to say on it? Sometimes what happened in the past was that somebody forced themselves on someone. Yes. And that would be dicey too. But I think that if, if that person now, the, the person that forced themselves on someone repented and became a believer and was convicted that that was wrong. I don't think you should see the person in person because it's going to be hard. But I think if you wrote a humble, brief letter of that was wrong, and I'm sorry for what I did to you in your life, and let it go at that, that could bring some healing to another person. Yeah, so what we, the issue with sexuality is it creates the soul tie, it creates an influence in someone's um, soul and spirit, and so you have to be very respectful of that. And so uh, correcting it, then you don't want to overcorrect it uh, and then respond to that person. And then just the flip side of this, to kind of turn it around a little bit, it's like, hey guys, let's understand the significance of sexual activity outside of marriage is that it does create a long-term emotional, physical uh, consequences. And so every sexual encounter will affect your life and their life for the rest of their lives. And if that encounter uh, ends up creating another life through pregnancy, oh my word, then that has consequences. And so it just influences so much. And this just elevates the level of sexuality. It's, it's so important. It's one of the most significant things in our life. And so we should treat it uh, with respect and carefully. Sure. I was going to say one last thing. We keep saying soul ties. And soul ties, ungodly soul ties, is that if you were here last week, we ripped the construction paper that was glued together. There's little bits of the pink paper on the blue and bits of the blue on the pink. And so praying through an ungodly soul tie is that saying, God, put me back together. You know, the stuff that I lost is still stuck to that other person. We Put it back together supernaturally where you redeem that thing. So that's kind of a picture for it. All right. So the next question. How many times on average are married couples having sex per week? My spouse's sexual appetite is so different than mine. How do I handle this? All right. So those are two separate questions. And um, so what we thought we would do in order to get a better handle on this is on the connection cards from now on. And we'll just average that out and put that right in the bulletin. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding, you know that, of course. <laughs> oh yeah, I would even... <laughs> Seven times going once, six, number okay. <laughs> Uh, in preparing for this, I came across two different uh, articles. Uh, one article said that um, uh, once a week, uh, 
tends to keep marriages healthy and happy. You know, uh, so uh, but I would say that would probably be the minimum. Another article I read said the average, they said the average, for a healthy, happy, well-functioning marriage is about three times a week. Right? But frequency is something that, that um, uh, really uh, varies radically between, uh, there's just so many dynamics uh, that are involved in how frequently you have, have sex. Uh, and that's something, and it's really something that over the years, I've been a pastor for almost 30 years, uh, it is the unspoken question that everybody wonders. And so, and what the, one of the problems is that then you are evaluating your own re- marriage or your own sexual activity within your relationship and thinking that everyone else is experiencing something else. Uh, and in reality, they're probably not. Okay. In fact, I know they're not because I've counseled enough people. I have a good, you know, running average. Of my, I, I, I kind of know how variations. And so <clears throat> there's, a, there's a vast range. First we'll talk about frequency and then we'll talk about sexual appetite. Um, um, another thing that affects uh, frequency is the season of life that you're in. Okay, how many know what I mean by seasons, right? In Michigan, I love it because we have really clearly defined seasons. You know when it's summer, you know when it's winter. You know, Florida, it's like my mom lives in Florida, so you know in winter it's just not quite as green. (laughs) Up here we know, it's black and white during winter. And so, seasons of life. So what do I mean by seasons of life? You want to talk about it? Sure. There's like... When you first get married, and you, maybe you don't have any kids season, and maybe you have lots of free time, <laughs> so that could be a time of plenty. And then all of a sudden you start having kids, and maybe both parents are working, um, and suddenly you're just everybody's always exhausted, and maybe not even in the same house at the same time for days, you know, and that can really affect it. Maybe somebody's sick, or has some kind of chronic pain. Um, we have seen our frequency be like a roller coaster over the years. Um, And honestly, I wanted to say too, because this is something that people really get scared about and feel very ashamed of, is sometimes months can go by. And then it gets really awkward because, okay, we're tired of it this season, (laughs) you know? But it's- We want the season to change. But it's like so (laughs) awkward to make the move to change it, especially if the other person's not quite ready at that minute. To me, even if they are, in theory, in that moment, oh, they're just so tired or sore or whatever. And then, so then the first, the person that made the move is probably not going to make the move the next time, you right. know. And go ahead. Yeah. So the longer the season it is, the longer you go without having sex, then the bigger the obstacle it's going to be. To have sex. And the more, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be like this important, whereas normally it's maybe around this important, yeah, you know. But that first time after a long hiatus is like so significant. It's significant. It's awkward. It's hard. It's like starting over again. And even if you've been married for 20 years, you know, and you get sick or you get super busy or traveling a lot, and all of a sudden you realize, ah, oh, it's been a couple of months. Heck, you know. Uh, and it's like, well, and, you know, you going to bed schedule is different because of whatever. It just, all of a sudden you just have a minute. And you're just stopping and realizing, wow, it's been a while. Uh, I would say that uh, long periods of time without uh, sexuality within the marriage is unhealthy. Okay? But I also want to tell you that it is normal. I'm not saying it's good. It's I'm certainly common. It's, it's certainly common. It's common for marriages to go not only months, but years. Okay? One couple, uh, when I talked to them, had gone over 20 years without having sex. Now, there's lots of other issues, and they'd basically just become, you know, roommates, uh, housemates, uh, but not mates. You know, and that's, that's, that's unhappy. Okay. Uh, I mean, they were they were they kind of dealt with it. And they, I'm not saying that they weren't really married or didn't love each other, um, but they were missing something. You know? 
Um, and I tell that to all when I do any pre-marriage counseling just to give people a heads up. This is something you actually have to work. This is another little thing. <clears throat> so before you're married, the enemy, That's the devil, good. his strategy is to make you have sex. Okay, so if you're dating someone, and this also applies if you're married to anyone outside of other than your spouse, the enemy's strategy is to do everything in his power. So when you're dating, you know, just the, the light glistening off her hair is just, wow. And, you know, you smell, everything smells great. And she said, oh, it's just so right. And just everything just kind of triggers, push every button. You just want to just, you just can't wait to get your hands and everything else on you know, and if you give in to that before marriage, which unfortunately most people do, um, and you learn how to follow the influence of the enemy, all right, the moment you get married, his strategy does a 180. Okay? Now he'll do everything in his power to make you go, I can't believe her hair always looks the same way. Jeez. And my goodness, what smells weird around here, you know? <laughs> uh, and, oh my goodness, she's wearing that same ugly sweater. Jeez, old Pete. You know, because he's whispering these thoughts. I'm telling you, all right? And so if you've practiced following the influence of the devil, what makes you think you're going to automatically change and no longer follow his influence? And that's what happens. They, you you kind of you're getting a rut of following the influence, and so rather than seeing sexuality from God's perspective before and after marriage, you know, which is to love and to serve and to meet the needs of your spouse, to create, uh, to share an intimate, uh, a level of intimacy that uh, is reserved for marriage that makes you uh, vulnerable. Uh, more vulnerable to this person than any other person on planet Earth. I mean, when you're having sex, you're more, more vulnerable to your spouse than you are to anyone ever, okay? And that's a beautiful thing. It's a very vulnerable thing. So understanding that dynamic uh, that, oh, wait a minute, maybe I'm picking up all these wrong, these cues that are negative because that's the enemy. And just say, Father, help me see my my wife or my spouse from your point of view, because it's God's will that you have sex regularly, and that sex is fulfilling. Remember the very first commandment in the Bible: Have be, sex. Be fruitful, multiply. <laughs> <laughs> so when Marilyn and I were engaged, we Pastor Cameron gave us uh, premarital counseling. We also got premarital counseling from the pastors at a church in Ann Arbor that we were attending. While we we're going to school, and uh, Cameron talked about, you know, fulfilling the needs of your spouse and sex being a giving thing. And when it came to frequency, I'll never forget the the pastor and his wife were talking with us, and a couple of other couples were preparing to get married. And she said, "You know what? It's just a thing that, you know, if we have sex and then it goes a day. Her husband's name was Rick. She's like, Rick's fine, but he's starting to be ready, you know." If it goes another day, he'll be fine. He's content. He's not, you know, on my case about it, but he's ready. And she, so she recognized, and she said, you know, if it's been a couple of days, I just take him to bed. <laughs> and I was like, be a little more irritable, right, a little right. more stressed. But the the position of her heart was that when it came to frequency, she was thinking about what was good for him, not only his sexual appetite and desire, but also why would I leave him open to temptation? by letting that appetite go unsatisfied where it should be satisfied, you know? And that was such a loving and a giving thing when it came to, you know, her side of their relationship, you know? And it can be the other way around. Maybe the wife can, can want a greater frequency than the husband in some relationships. We've met couples like that. But that giving when it comes to frequency is really important. And it can go the other way around too, right? Like he was patient. He wasn't like, he wasn't on her case about it, even though he wanted more often than her. And so they had a really good model for that, and I thought that was awesome. Yeah, and that would have required them talking about it and communicating about it. And on the flip side, say, uh, and this is, you know, it's generalities. It, it does vary significantly. That's not always the woman. It's not always the men that want sex more often. That's the uh, 
stereotype, but a woman may need uh, more frequent affection, okay? So non-sexual physical affection, you know, uh, that is soft and encouraging. And so guys, uh, you need to learn how much. And then there's this principle that I learned a number of years ago from a book on psychology. It was not talking about sex. It was just talking about desires and the, the difference between contentment and satisfaction. Right? This is really big. Think about this. I've been thinking about this for about five or six years since I read that book. Um, <clears throat> the idea is that contentment is long-term. We need to be content as, as believers whether we have or we have not, right? And that's just, that makes you healthy and strong. But the feeling or the sensation or the uh, place of satisfaction lasts 24 hours. 24 hours. Okay? So that's in every area. The sense of satisfaction, whether it be, you know, you have a good steak dinner. He loves steak dinner, right? You're not going to want to have another steak dinner an hour later. Well, it was a great dinner, but I'm satisfied, you know. But 24 hours later, you're going to want something to eat, <laughs> right? By then, and it differs. Some people, it's 18 hours. But, but basically, the feeling of, wow, I'm satisfied in this area. Entertainment. Watch a great movie. You don't need to, you know, binge a movie every day. It's like, watch, watch a TV show. It's like, that's enough for the night, you know. But the next night, well, let's watch the next episode, right? <clears throat> because it's been 24 hours. Well, it's the same thing in sexuality, okay? You can be satisfied. And we want to keep, and you mentioned the word, satisfied. You want to keep your spouse satisfied. So that might not mean that you have sex every 24 hours, but in some way you're, um, you're affirming there, you're giving some attention to their sexuality. Um, but boy, having sex every 24 hours might not be a bad idea. <laughs> not every time, I don't know. Not yeah, but forever. if you don't, still remind them of their sexuality yeah, every 24 hours. Instant. Remind them that you find them attractive, that you, you know, just something that's a little more than... It's, it's an important part of who we are. And then one other thing before we move on to the next question is that the idea is somehow perpetrated... Um, and mainly in the Catholic Church, and so it's influenced everywhere else, and, but some other fundamentalist uh, churches teach that sex is just for uh, procreation, okay? In other words, to get pregnant. The only purpose of sex is to get pregnant. Let me tell you, that is absolutely not true. Okay? It's not biblical, it's not true medically, it's not true psychologically, it's just not true, okay? And in fact, often, once people get beyond childbearing age, sex becomes even more enjoyable. You don't have to worry about having another kid as a result. <laughs> That's pretty well, you know, uh, 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 protection and everything. It's like, and also, phys physical changes actually can make uh, your sex life even more enjoyable uh, uh, after childbearing age. And so sex is not just for procreation, it's for shared intimacy. Marriage is not just for procreation, it's for going deeper in a relationship. Okay, and then appetite, one other thing about appetite and the variation of appetite is, again, um, something that you want to uh, communicate with your spouse, and that speaks more to how you have sex, okay? And the different ways to have sex, of which there are a multitude, okay, with the same person in the context of marriage, you know, we have a whole body, and there's lots of different ways to have sexuality, um, different places to have sex, sex indoors, sex outdoors, sex, want me to describe some? <laughs> We have young people. Well, young people are at their own risk. The parents are here. They can decide when it's time for the young people to go. <laughs> so it's something that you need to communicate with your spouse in a healthy relationship. You know, yes, it's awkward to communicate about sex unless you communicate about sex on a regular basis. And then it no longer becomes as awkward. And in fact, speaking of awkward, someone asked this question. And Bill's going to answer it. <laughs> Try. What about uh, anal sex in marriage? This is a question I've been asked in my 30 years of pastoring uh, many, 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 many times. Because people are like, 
is it wrong? Is it right? Um, and some people like it. Some people think it's an abomination. And, you know, Bill? <laughs> I get all the easy ones, right? <laughs> all right. So kind of in general, to skip to the end, everything we say is going to kind of get to the point that uh, we don't necessarily think it's to be encouraged. There are health concerns and things that could come with it. Uh, the Bible doesn't directly talk about that type of sex within marriage. Um, the references that we find in Scripture to that type of sex is talking about homosexual activity, which is what Cameron covered in that sermon uh, a couple weeks ago. So, But what do we know from Scripture that would inform how we would approach the question? We can get into that. So um, Hebrews 13.4, marriage is honorable in all and the, in the bed undefiled. Right, so um, actually, the Strong's word for undefiled says free from that by which the nature of a thing is deformed and debased, or its force and vigor impaired. Hmm. So the point is that uh, sexuality in marriage is holy; it's undefiled. It is a pure thing. God designed it. That's good. Now the varieties and the things that you do with it in the marriage relationship. Um, should not defile it, right? It should stay undefiled. So um, what we do within marriage should not decrease the, the force or vigor, meaning the, the healthiness of the sex life, okay? So if um, one spouse is interested in this and the other is not, that would decrease the health and wellness of the rest of the sex life. So you would want to say, you know what? Curiosity will <laughs> just be set aside, or, or that desire for that will be set aside if the other does not um, have interest in that. Um, also to inform it kind of on the other side of the coin is that in 1 Corinthians 7 it says, um, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife, and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but yields it to her husband. In the same way the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. So we're given to one another, We've given each other ourselves, all of ourselves, in marriage. And so we've got to walk through that conversation. You have to communicate about it. I think it would be a bad thing, uh, whether it's specifically the anal sex question or anything, to go a whole marriage where you were wanted something, you had a desire, and you never communicated it to your spouse. Right? It would be, she would never know if I was really interested in having my you know, ear whispered into, or some, whatever the thing is, and I just never shared it, then we would never communicate on it and find out what is good for our marriage and the health of it. Yeah, and not communicating it then causes this dynamic where it just grows with intensity inside of you, where if you say, boy, honey, I'm kind of interested in that, and she's like, well, listen, I have no interest in that at all. Or she says, well, I've been waiting for you to ask. You know, it's like, well, really? <laughs> and so let me just say some other things. You know, oral sex within marriage uh, is just an equal thing. It's like, is that right or wrong? Uh, mutual masturbation, okay? In other words, uh, using your fingers or other parts of your body uh, to bring your partner to sexual satisfaction. What about that? You know, well, you should talk to your spouse about that. Or you should try some different things. Uh, sex toys. What about that? Well, I certainly don't... Um, think that going to a sex toy shop is appropriate because the connotation is negative. They are generally unwholesome places. But there are some very, uh, 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 there are marriage-based um, places online, marriage-based places where you can get um, things, stuff, tools, there you go, power tools. <laughs> All this, listen, I, I've had so many counseling appointments where I've had to talk about so many things. It, it, it doesn't bother me bringing it up. So if you feel really awkward, don't, don't worry about me. Okay. <laughs> uh, sometimes it's important because, uh, again, some of the seasons of life that, uh, you know what, maybe you know we never needed lubrication before, but boy, we do now. Okay. Because uh, bodies change, you know, and that stuff's a wonderful stuff to discover, right? 
and and you don't have to be ashamed of that. It's not dirty. It's it's learning. And the primary thing that Bill opened with is that the marriage bed is holy. Okay? I really believe that. Like it's a sacred place. It's more sacred than church. Okay? What happens in the marriage bed? That's a safe, sacred place. And so um, there, no one can say to you what is right or wrong in that marriage bed other than you and the person, your spouse that's in that bed with you and, and God who's with you there. Um, and, and within that limit, you know, it's a free-for-all. You know, so love each other from head to toe. Like love on your spouse. Every part of their body. Make their that part feel happy. That's what sex is about. Okay. That clearing up. <laughs> There's some pretty if, if you doubt that some of the non traditional sexual activities are in the Bible. Read the Song of Solomon. It, it, it's word pictures, right? But Your nose they're, they're pretty like clear, yeah. you know. And just this morning, even reading there, I mean, there's one that talks about some of these things, right? You know, uh, talks about the, the woman's talking about the man having his arm around her like this, and then the other one's doing stuff. Read it. <laughs> You'll understand what it's talking about, right? So it is very explicit. There's a lot going on there. And yeah. so within the context of marriage, that's should be going on. All right. What was next? Okay. Do you want me to elaborate more? <laughs> no, Bill's... Okay, so here's the next question. I've heard that we should invite God into our sex life. What in the world does that mean, Marilee? <laughs> well, it's a good question after what we've just been talking about because it, um, inviting God into our sex life, it, it should be God, you, and your spouse. The three-strand cord is not easily broken. There should be unity between you, your spouse, and God in every aspect of marriage and certainly in sex. Um, I think for someone who asks this question, it would show that they are maybe uncomfortable with that idea. And so the first thing I would recommend to them is to repent for believing the lie that God doesn't belong in your um, sexual life or, you know, repent for believing that he can't be involved or doesn't want to be involved or shouldn't be involved. Um, all those lies would make you feel like it would be wrong for him to be a part. Um, so um, a, a practical tip would just be to pray with your spouse before you're going to be sexually intimate and just acknowledge the Holy Spirit's presence there, invite him to come in an even stronger way, and to just build unity between you and your spouse and the Holy Spirit. And that is some of the most um, deep and meaningful and bonding um, sexual experiences with your spouse will be when you do that. Because um, the Holy Spirit um, is very comfortable <laughs> being there. Um, and so I actually, do you think there's time to share the story? Of, yeah, I think so. I was doing a healing and restoration appointment with a girl and um, and none of you know her, but she, um, we were healing a, a memory, inviting God into this memory to heal. Um, she had been raped by a family member. And so, you know, when, you, when you're going to heal a memory, you ask the Holy Spirit to um, show up in the memory. Where are you? Because he's always there. Um, we're just not aware of it. So where are you? What were you doing? What did you want to say? Well, she goes, well, he's not... You know, the Holy Spirit's not right there. He's, like, way across the field or whatever. And I was like, all right, well, um, repent for believing the lie that he uh, doesn't belong there and doesn't want to be there and shouldn't be there. So she did that, and immediately, zoom, he's right there. And um, immediately, the first thing he does is... I mean, it's just beautiful how God can heal everything, but he lifts the weight off. She can breathe because she's being crushed 
you know, and all of a sudden she can breathe and just, just all this healing. So, so um, that example is just to share that, you know, invite God into every part of your sex life, even, you know, things that were hurtful or wrong. Um, invite him to those places, too, to bring healing. You know, invite him into the godly good place in your marriage to bring deeper unity and love. So he belongs there, and he does great things no matter what. Um, I think that this idea is strange at first to people just because they're not used to hearing God's voice for themselves, you know? It's just something that kind of got lost, even in the church, but especially for people who are just new converts. So I think as people learn to hear God's voice, then they'll realize, oh, you know, he's saying something there. He's saying something about their spouse, or he's saying something freeing about their body. Maybe you have a hang-up about some part of your body, and the Holy Spirit might whisper to you that that part is actually glorious, you know? You know, that's what it can be like. So practice hearing God's voice, like with the Mark Berkler materials that we've taught, or just however you've been learning to do it, and just do that same thing in the bedroom. Yeah, and that bringing um, uh, God into your sexuality, especially in marriage, is extremely vital. Uh, a lot of people think that it, it's impossible because they have a view that sex is sinful. Okay? This is something that's taught, and there's a scripture that, you know, people sometimes teach. That before, this is a Psalm 55:5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. And so there's like, well, that means all sex is sinful. No, absolutely not. That's a complete misunderstanding of that verse and the whole of the context of sexuality. Another translation puts that same verse this way, which I think communicates it better. It says, for I was born a sinner, yes, from the moment my mother conceived me. And so what he's saying is that from the moment of conception, I'm a sinner. We're born in sin. That doesn't mean that sex is sinful. Okay? And a commentator on this says that what he's saying there is that he cannot... Now, this was, in, this was David confessing the sin of, of raping, basically, uh, uh, Bathsheba. Um, and uh, he says he cannot plead that this sin was a rare aberration in his life. Like It's not like this is just, I'm sorry, it's a one-time mistake. It actually sprang from what he is and has been from birth. Okay, so that scripture is talking about our inherent sinful nature. It is not talking about the act of sex. The act of sex is holy. It says that in the New Testament. The act of sex was God's idea. It says that in the Old Testament. The act of sex was God's first command to mankind. Uh, was to be fruitful and multiply. Have kids. You can't have a kid unless you get pregnant. Uh, and so sexuality is healthy. And then... <clears throat> Uh, uh, bringing God into our marriage is really, uh, bringing God into our sex life is balancing out because sex is obviously very physical. You know, we kind of use our bodies. How many use their body when they have sex? Right. Right. And it's a, it's emotional. Yeah, how many don't? Fortunately, yeah. in our day, uh, and it's very emotional. So it involves the soul, right? And so guess what? We have another part. It's called the spirit. And so inviting the spirit in our spirit into the sexual act actually gets to the real purpose of sexuality, which is joining ourselves spirit to spirit, soul to soul, body to body. And I love that when that happens, sometimes it results in a miracle. And the miracle is, boop, a new person. We actually create life. From this interaction of sex, having sexuality. So that means that sexuality, that is a demonstration that sex is meant to be the most powerful life giving activity within a relationship. And the proof of that is that's how babies, how new life comes. So that bringing in the spirit is a, a, a very important way to be wholesome. I want to get on to the next question. All right. Because uh -huh, I think so many people struggle with this. Okay, so next question is, is there ever a healthy place for masturbation in the life of a Christian, single or married? 
Why and what does the Bible say about it? A, a healthy place for masturbation. Um, so, you know, uh, the bathroom or, or the... <laughs> the workshop? No, the outhouse? No, no, that's not what it means. Metaphorical place. <laughs> oh, okay. Listen, it's called comic relief, all right? Because if you don't feel awkward <laughs> at that question, I don't know, you're not listening to the question. That's the deal, okay? And I have to answer it, so I'm going to, I mean, there's some comedy there. Let me read <clears throat> a verse, and this is the only verse that I know of that actually talks about masturbation in the Bible. There's another verse that some people think talk about it, but it doesn't. But this verse does, and most people don't even know it. All right, so this is found in Leviticus chapter 15. It says, Whenever a man has an emission of semen, he must bathe his entire body in water, and he will remain ceremonial unclean until evening. Hmm. Uh, any clothing or leather with semen on it must be washed in water, and it will remain unclean until evening. Hmm. Next first. After a man and a woman have sexual intercourse, they must each bathe in water, and they will remain unclean until the next evening. Um, so what we have here is two scenarios. A man getting semen on him without a woman, and a man getting semen on the, him and a woman together. All right? Two separate scenarios. Um... And so the first scenario is there's no woman there. He gets semen on him. Now some people uh, say, well, that's uh, wet dreams. Okay, that's not masturbation. It doesn't say that. So you can think it means that, and it does mean that, but it doesn't only mean that. It means any time it happens. Okay? Now, it's not a sin. According to this verse... There's no penalty, there's no sacrifice that's required. I read a commentary, and they actually said, in the culture, in the Hittite culture, uh, and recordings that we have written from other cultures in that area, uh, wet dreams uh, at night, if you had dreamt of having sex, you were having sex with a demon, and it required uh, exorcism. Okay? And so the culture that they were around thought that that was really bad, in fact, so bad that you had a demon in you, all right? And so this is actually saying, oh, it's no big deal. But you are unclean. And so what unclean means is not sinner going to hell. Unclean means you can't perform uh, ceremonial duties. You wouldn't be able to uh, 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 go into the, the te temple or the, or the tabernacle. Um, but that was true if you had sex with your wife. You couldn't do that either until the till evening, right? So the, the consequence is you feel unclean, and you need to take a shower, and you need to realize that tomorrow is a new day, right? Now the flip side of that is Jesus was really clear that if you lust after someone, and this is male or female, and you're uh, that then is not about the act of masturbation. That's actually about dehumanizing another individual and turning that individual into an object for your sexual pleasure. Okay? And that is violating someone else's integrity. And that's always wrong. Okay? So lust and fantasy, which often leads up to the act of masturbation, is very destructive. That requires repentance. But I'm telling you, um, uh, uh, this is something that everyone struggles with to some degree or another. It, it, some people think it's only men, but uh, I, I know that women struggle with this. I, uh, I don't. I, I've actually been involved in the counseling sessions. I wasn't the counselor, but <clears throat> women that were addicted to masturbation, and so it's not just a guy problem. It, it, it's both. Um, but if you can separate the act of masturbation and realize, oh, wait a minute, it's not that big of a deal. You're unclean, take a shower, wash up, start over. The real issue is how you uh, look at other people and how you treat them with your mind, you know, and realize, oh, wow, i got to deal with that. Now, it can become an addiction. Uh -huh. I do want to say that masturbation, uh, the couple, one thing that I say is the more you do it, the more you'll do it. 
And the less you do it, the less you'll do it. Okay? Because that, it's really that whole satisfaction thing and learning how to be content. Uh, and so it, it, it is destructive in that you become uh, you know, instant gratification. Right? I don't know how many times I've had to counsel young men particularly thinking, boy, once they get married, they will never have that problem again. I'm like, dude, it's a different problem. It has nothing. You can have a great sex life with your wife and still struggle with the act of masturbation. Okay? So the act in and of itself makes you unclean, but it's not a, even a sin according to Scripture. Uh, but it's unhealthy in that you're taking something, especially once you're married, uh, you're taking something that is meant to be shared with your spouse and indulging it on yourself. Okay? And if you're not married, uh, then it's giving in to, and it's just going to create greater desire uh, because you're, there is no medical need, there's no physiological need to uh, release yourself. That's, that's a fallacy. Uh, <clears throat> uh, you can learn how to live uh, without doing it. So uh, the question about masturbation, did you want to add to that? Um, you know how you sn if you snack between meals, you can't eat your meal as well? You, you lose your appetite? Yeah. Same thing in marriage. Just point to a point. Um, so Cameron was saying to um, that um, you can create a, a mind pattern and a, a pattern before you're married if you're indulging in that. And um, in Song of Solomon, three different places it says, do not arouse or awaken love until it so desires. And um, it's just a warning <laughs> not to not to get that going, you know, if you're not in a place where you can consummate that. So if you're not married to to get your mind going on that and to get your body into that pattern, it's is arousing and awakening love um, when it's not time. And a commentator said about that, um, you know, don't start the process of loving exchange until the opportunity and appropriate occasion is present. Don't start something unless we can complete it. Let's pray. Um, Father, we just uh, submit our whole bodies to you. Yes. Body, soul, and spirit. We submit our minds. Yeah. We submit sexuality in our brains, our hearts, our emotions, our soul, our spirit, Father. Physically, our bodies. Oh, there's lots of good. There's a lot of bad stuff associated with it. Lord, we just lay that at the cross. And all guilt and shame, we lay at the cross. And I just pray, Jesus, come and be the healer, be the comforter, and bring restoration in this area and every area. And we thank you that we have a Father that understands our needs and can come and talk to us about it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do have a prayer team available, and they're here to pray for healing needs, salvation, uh, uh, repentance stuff, whatever you have, someone going through it in your family, you want to join with prayer, they're available. Otherwise, God bless you. You are dismissed. Don't forget there's lots of donuts and coffee out there. Thank you so much.